Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you that we can still come and worship in freedom. And I pray that you would speak through me this morning. Give me a message that will be what each one of us needs to hear. And may Christ be lifted up is my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. The title for my Sabbath school message this morning, and it's going to be a, a Bible study, is entitled Revelation Sanctuary Theme. Revelation Sanctuary Theme. And before I get into some of my slides here, you know, as Seventh-day Adventists, we have a very special, unique message. We have a message that we should not be ashamed of. We have a message that God has given to us to take to the world. And when I look at the world that we are living in now, undoubtedly, our message has become more relevant than ever. Now is the time for us as Seventh-day Adventists to be challenging our fellow church members and friends to study this message as never before, to accept this message, and to incorporate this message so that we can go forth to meet the bridegroom. Because Jesus is coming soon. And when we study the Bible, when we study the book of Revelation, we find that the sanctuary message that we hold very dear as Seventh-day Adventists is found very clearly in this book. And so I'm going to go um, get into my slides now. And I believe that you can see them over here on this side. Hopefully the projector on this side will start working at some point. I'm going to start with a quote from Testimonies to Ministers, page 116. Those who eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of God will bring from the books of Daniel and Revelation truth that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. They will start into action forces that cannot be repressed. Now, when I read that statement, the statement says, those who eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of God. In other words, you have a living relationship with Jesus. So if you have a living relationship with Jesus, you're not going to be saying, you know, we need to stop talking about Daniel and Revelation so much. If you have a, a living relationship with Jesus, inspiration tells us that we will bring from the books of Daniel and Revelation truth that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And I want to eat the flesh and drink the blood of the Son of God. Amen? Amen? And I want to be part of a movement that starts into action forces that cannot be repressed. If you want to be part of Earth's final movement to usher in the second coming, study the books of Daniel and Revelation. As we start to look more at the sanctuary. I want to talk about the sanctuary in the 2300 days of Great Controversy 423. The subject of the sanctuary was the key which unlocked the mystery of the disappointment of 1844. And I notice this. 
It opened to view a complete system of truth, connected and harmonious, showing that God's hand had directed the great Advent movement and revealing present duty as it brought to light the position and work of his people. Friends, if you want to understand the Adventist message, you understand it on the basis of the sanctuary message. The sanctuary message is a message that is a complete system of truth that is connected and harmonious. And what we're going to see today is that the book of Revelation is actually a study through the sanctuary. And this is one of my favorite statements that Ellen White has about the sanctuary. This is Testimonies, Volume 5, page 575. And over the next three slides, we're going to look at this statement. Here it says, The great plan of redemption, as revealed in the closing work of these last days, should receive close examination. The scenes connected with the sanctuary above should make such an impression upon the minds and hearts of all that they may be able to impress others. All need to become more intelligent in regard to the work of the atonement, which is going on in the sanctuary above. Now notice, you should have such a connection with God that as you study the sanctuary message, that it makes such an impression upon your mind and your heart that you would impress others with the importance of this message. And she says all need to become more intelligent. That includes every one of you here today, including me. All need to become more intelligent in regard to the work of the atonement, which is going on in the sanctuary above. And when you understand the sanctuary message, you'll understand that the atonement wasn't finished at the cross. It's going on in the sanctuary above even now. Now notice this next paragraph. When this grand truth is seen and understood, those who hold it will work in harmony with Christ to prepare a people to stand in the great day of God and their efforts will be successful. Notice this. When you understand the grand truth of the sanctuary message and how it relates to the plan of salvation, when you hold to it, and accept it, you will work in harmony with Christ. You know, there's all sorts of ideas of ministry out there in the world, and yet inspiration tells us if you want to work in harmony with Christ to prepare people to stand in the day of God, understand the sanctuary message. And not only that, the promise comes with it that our efforts will be successful. And then she closes by saying, by study, contemplation, and prayer, God's people will be elevated above common earthly thoughts and feelings and will be brought into harmony with Christ and his great work of cleansing the sanctuary above from the sins of the people. Right now, in heaven above, Christ is working to cleanse the sanctuary from the sins of the people. And I believe that at a weekend like this, this is a time of special opportunity where God can do a work in each of our hearts to cleanse us, to prepare us for the coming of Jesus. And I hope that as we go from this camp meeting, this retreat this weekend, 
that we will not go back the way we came. Now, we are going to look today at the sanctuary in Revelation. And when we look at the sanctuary in Revelation, we have a basic understanding when we look at the diagram from the Old Testament of the outer courtyard and the holy place and the most holy place and the various um, articles of furniture in the courtyard, holy place, most holy place. And we may have a basic understanding of what each of these articles represent. Now, as I've been studying the book of Revelation over the last few years, it's been fascinating to me to see just how detailed the sanctuary message is described in the book of Revelation as it relates to the work of Jesus in the sanctuary above. That if you really look at the big picture of Revelation, the sanctuary message is right there in front of you. And I want to say this as I get into the big picture, as we start to look at the outline of the book of Revelation and of the sanctuary message in Revelation. There are a variety of interesting interpretations when you come to the seven churches, the seven seals, and the seven trumpets. And I would submit to you as we start our study through the sanctuary message in the book of Revelation, that if you get lost in the weeds of the trumpets before you understand the big picture of what Jesus is doing through the church's seals and trumpets as part of the sanctuary message, most likely you're going to have a bad interpretation. So you want to understand the big picture first, and then you can dig down into the details. That should be a basic concept, but sometimes we get lost in the woods and we don't look at the big picture first. So we're going to look at this big picture and we're going to see that we can find Jesus at every article of furniture that is outlined in the sanctuary. The altar of sacrifice, the seven candlesticks, the table of showbread, the altar of incense, and the ark of the covenant. We're going to see Jesus at each spot. So let's move forward in our study here. Let's start off in the courtyard. And we have in Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, I'm going to invite you to turn there, looking at the courtyard. In Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, we read, And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a what? A lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. Here we see in verse 6 especially, Jesus as the lamb who had been slain. So we're in the courtyard at the altar of sacrifice. And in Revelation 13 verse 8, the very familiar verse that says, Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And this reminds us of what... Um, the Apostle John said in John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. So we, here we see courtyard language and of Jesus' sacrifice. And here's the important point, that without the sacrifice of Jesus, without his death on the cross, the rest of the sanctuary can't take place. And we heard a beautiful message last night from Pastor Thompson on 
the power of forgiveness. If you weren't here last night, go back and listen to it. That was a very powerful message. That's where everything begins. That is the beginning of the sanctuary message. Jesus and his death and his love and his forgiveness that he's offering to each one of us. Interestingly, though, in the book of Revelation, when you go to Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, Looking at Revelation chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, we read, And there was given me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, and the altar, and them that worship therein. But the court which is without the temple leave out, and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot forty and two months. Now the forty-two months, that's talking about the 1260 days, or the 1260 years of papal persecution, and the holy city refers to spiritual Jerusalem, which represents God's people who were persecuted in the wilderness during this period of time. Revelation 12 makes that even clearer. But interestingly, by the time you get to the Dark Ages, which is 538 to 1798, certainly by then, inspiration is telling us Jesus is no longer in the courtyard. That's not the place to find him anymore. He finished his work there. And so... It's telling you go to the altar and them which worship therein. And we're going to see the significance of that as we go forward. So it says, measure not, that is the times of the Gentiles. So interestingly, most of Christianity has stayed in the courtyard. Now, the cross is beautiful, the cross is powerful, and we exalt the cross, we uplift the cross, and that remains the heart of our message as Adonis, but we don't stop there. And many Christians stop at the cross, and they haven't followed Jesus all the way through the book of Revelation. So we're going to keep following Jesus through the book of Revelation. We're going to follow Jesus now into the holy place. Now, when we look at the holy place we see that there are three articles of furniture here. And we see the seven candlesticks, the table of showbread, and the altar of incense. Now here is what's very interesting, and I'm, I'm going to give you a bit of a preview, and then we're going to move forward. Each one of these articles of furniture is seen as a prelude or a preview before entering into one of the three sevens in the first half of the book of Revelation. The seven churches, the seven seals, and the seven trumpets. Now what you're going to see as we study this morning is that the seven churches, the seven seals, and the seven trumpets are actually a very key component to the sanctuary message in the book of Revelation. Sometimes we just study the seven churches and we'll come away and say, oh wow, now I understand Thyatira so much better. I understand that that woman Jezebel represents the union of church and state. I've, I've got this down. And yet you're into the detail, but you haven't seen the big picture yet. And we want to see the big picture first. So we've seen that Jesus starts his ministry in the courtyard. He's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Yet, when we get to Revelation chapter 11, it says, go now into the holy place where the altar is and those who are worshiping there, that's the place to find Jesus. That was during the, the Dark Ages. Now we're going to see what Jesus did after he finished his work on earth and ascended to heaven. 
How is Jesus described in the book of Revelation as it relates to the sanctuary message? Are you interested to see what Revelation says about this? Let's move forward. Let's go now to Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. Revelation chapter 1 is the introduction to the book, and it's the introduction as well to the seven churches. And in this chapter, John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and he hears a loud voice behind him in verse 10, the voice like a trumpet, and this voice says, I'm Alpha and Omega, and he says what you hear right to the seven churches. So he hears a voice behind him, and now he turns around to see who's speaking to him, and verse 12 shows us what he sees. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw what? Seven golden candlesticks. So where is he at? This is the holy place in the heavenly sanctuary. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, who did he see? One like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Here he sees the Son of Man, in the midst of the seven churches. Now, let me say something. Jesus has a variety of titles in the book of Revelation. And the title that Jesus receives in the various places throughout the book of Revelation are not without accident. Because when we see the, the title of the Son of Man used, if you, uh, you don't, I'm not going to take you to Luke 19.10 and Matthew 18.11. I'll just say this. It, those two verses are very famous verses where Jesus says, The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So Jesus is the Son of Man in the midst of the seven candlesticks, which Revelation chapter 1 verse 20 says, the seven candlesticks are the seven churches, and Jesus describes himself as the Son of Man in the seven churches. And this is in the holy place. So Jesus is doing a work as the Son of Man in the midst of the candlesticks, in the midst of the churches, to bring salvation to the churches. And if you read the messages to the seven churches, trust me, every single church needs help. Especially the last one. Now it is true that the second and the sixth church don't receive a message of rebuke, but even still they need salvation. So Jesus is doing a work in the midst of the seven churches. And let me say one other thing. You know, sometimes people say, you know what? My candlestick is smelling so bad, I'm just going to have to leave. But you know what? Jesus is actually in the midst of the candlesticks. So if you leave your smelly candlestick, you're leaving where Jesus is at. And Jesus would have you be with him to help do a work that would bring salvation. And sometimes people say, well, I'm out of here. And they're leaving Jesus behind as they leave. And usually they take a bad spirit with them, if you haven't noticed. So here we see Jesus is in the midst 
of the seven churches, and he's described as the Son of Man. Now, let me say one other thing. As we go through the churches, the seals and the trumpets, we're going to see this is a first layer that we're looking at. We're seeing the titles of Jesus. And by the way, the book of Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is revealing himself as we go through Revelation. And as he reveals himself, he's revealing himself in the sanctuary. And as he's revealing himself in the sanctuary, the titles that are given to him give us a better understanding of who Jesus is. So he's the son of man in the seven churches. But we're not done yet. We still have the seals and the trumpets to look at. So we're going to go ahead now and turn to Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 1, because after... um, the seven churches, we move forward, and now, just as you have an interlude chapter or an introductory chapter in Revelation 1 before the seven churches, then before you have the seven seals, you have Revelation chapters 4 and 5, which are introductory chapters to the seven seals. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, After this I beheld, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And then we skip ahead to verse 4. And actually, verse 2 shows that he sees the throne of God in heaven, and he sees a rainbow above the throne. And then in verse 4, he sees the 24 elders, and in verse 5, he sees out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were what? Seven lamps of fire burning before the throne of God, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, what's the seven lamps of fire? That's the seven candlesticks. So where are we still in the sanctuary? We're still in the holy place. And notice the throne is before the seven lamps. Now, that's King James language, which means the throne is in front of the seven candlesticks. So what's in front of the seven candlesticks in the holy place? Table of showbread. So as we move into an introduction of the seven seals, we see that we're not at the seven candlesticks anymore. We're in front of the seven candlesticks. We're at the table of showbread, which is the throne of God. Now, you may be asking, how do we know this is the throne of God? Well, if you look at it and the way it's described in Scripture, it actually has two layers of crowns around it, and we know that it has the two stacks of six loaves totaling 12. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Jesus says, I and my father are one. Scripture talks about how Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So you have a description of that where Jesus is the bread of life. He and his father are one. So you have the unity of the father and the son right next to each other where Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God. And that's in the holy place. Now, we understand that the throne can move because in Daniel 7, at the beginning of the judgment in 1844, we see that the throne has wheels of fire, which means that it can move. But when Jesus first ascends to heaven, Jesus is in the holy place where the throne of God is at, which is the table of showbread. Now, we already read Revelation 5, 5, and 6 earlier. And in that verse, Jesus is described as the lamb who had been slain, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, here's the interesting thing, and we're still on this first later, because Jesus is the son of man in the seven churches to bring salvation. As we shift to the seven seals, Jesus is not only the son of man, he's the lamb who has been slain. 
So how does Jesus bring salvation to the seven churches? Because as the Son of Man, he's come to seek and to save that which is lost. He brings salvation as the Lamb who has been slain. So as we go through the sanctuary message, we see Jesus died on the cross, which allows him to bring salvation to the churches in the holy place. And he can do that because he's the lamb who has been slain. And this is a very important message, especially to those who are described in the message of the seven seals, because in the seven seals, you see the Christian church as the persecuted church. And when you get to Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, you have the souls crying out under the altar, How long, O Lord, till you judge and avenge our blood? Jesus was also slain, just as the martyrs were. So there's a reason why Jesus takes this title, as the Lamb who had been slain. So here we see, as we're in the holy place, Jesus is the Son of Man in the midst of the seven churches. He's the Lamb who had been slain in the seven seals. And all of this describes the work of salvation that Jesus is doing for his people. So we've seen the first two articles of furniture in the holy place. The, se the seven candlesticks and the table of showbread. What's the other article of furniture? The altar of incense. Now we've looked at the seven churches. We've looked at the seven seals. Do you want to take a guess that the altar of incense is going to be connected to the seven trumpets? Let's go to Revelation chapter 8. We're still in the holy place. Let's look at Revelation chapter 8, verses 2 through 6. Revelation chapter 8, verses 2 through 6. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given what? Seven trumpets. So now we're moving into the seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at what? The altar, having a golden censer. So what's the very first thing mentioned at the beginning of the seven trumpets? An angel with a censer at the altar of incense. Did you realize that the seven churches, the seven seals and the seven trumpets are describing the work of Jesus through the sanctuary in the book of Revelation? That the seven churches, the seven seals and the seven trumpets are not just some helter-skelter view of history and we just try to make some sense of it. No, God has a very organized description of how he works through the sanctuary in heaven. So at the beginning of the seven trumpets, we see an angel standing at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. Now here's the thing. The altar of incense is again in the holy place. Now some people get confused because in the following verses, the angel, who is Jesus, the high priest, who, as Hebrews 7.25 says, ever lives to make intercession for us. So Jesus is now being described as an angel who's our intercessor, and he has a censor, and he's interceding on behalf of his people. Some people get confused because they say, well, at the beginning of the seven trumpets, the angel takes the censor and casts it into the earth. That must be at the close of probation at the end of the world. Actually, no, it's not, because the angel is standing in the holy place, and probation doesn't close in the holy place. If you would study the sanctuary message, which is a complete, harmonious system of truth, you would understand that the beginning of the seven trumpets is not the beginning of the close of probation. 
you would understand that when you get to the seventh trumpet, at the end of the seventh trumpet, that's when probation closes. It doesn't close at the beginning of the seven trumpets and at the end of the seven trumpets. Jesus has his work in the holy place, and then he goes to the most holy place. But notice this, as we look at the plan of salvation, you know, Hebrews 7.25, one of my favorite verses, that Jesus, he's able to save to the uttermost those that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So here we see this plan of salvation. Jesus in the churches is the Son of Man, coming to seek and to save that which was lost. But he's not only the son of man in the seven churches, he's the lamb who was slain so that he can bring salvation. But not only is his work on the cross necessary for salvation, his work as high priest, where he ever lives to make intercession for us, that is also essential to our salvation. So there again you see the sanctuary message, that Jesus' work on the cross as the lamb who was slain, and as our high priest who is ever living to make intercession for us, that combined element of sacrifice and high priest, that together is how Jesus brings salvation to us. And I would invite you today, if you haven't learned to do so yet, learn to see Jesus as your Savior on the cross and learn to see him as your high priest, as your advocate, whoever lives to make intercession for us. I see Adventists falling sometimes into ditches where some people only see their Savior and they miss out on the blessing of their intercessor, and some people focus only on the high priestly work and they miss out on the blessing of the sacrifice. And yet, the book of Revelation is showing that it's a complete package. Now, I've just shown you the first layer of the book of Revelation with respect to the role of Jesus and how he reveals himself in the sanctuary. He reveals himself as the Son of Man, as the Lamb that was slain, and as the angel with a censer in his hand in the sanctuary. And that especially describes his work in the holy place. But as Jesus reveals himself through the book of Revelation, there's now another layer that connects itself to the churches, the seals, and the trumpets that helps us understand more deeply the work of Jesus in the book of Revelation. And I would invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. As Jesus reveals himself at the beginning of the book of Revelation, notice what it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Notice he's the faithful witness. He's the first begotten of the dead. He is the prince of the kings of the earth. So we've seen that he's the son of man, he's the lamb that was slain, he's the angel with a censer in his hand, but now we're also seeing he's the faithful witness, he's the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. Now, this is all going to connect to the church of seals and trumpets as well. Notice this. Where is Jesus in the book of Revelation, the faithful witness? Now, you can study this through throughout the churches, but when you get to the, the seventh church, the Laodicean church, notice what Jesus says, and unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, 
the beginning of the creation of God. And then he goes on to give a message completely of rebuke with no commendation to his judgment hour church. In the first layer that I showed you, son of man, lamb that was slain, angel with a censer in his hand, that especially describes the work of Jesus in the church's seals and trumpets in the holy place. But when you come to Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, and Jesus takes these titles, faithful witness, first begotten of the dead, prince of the kings of the earth, that describes what Jesus does in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. So now we're taking it one layer deeper. We see what Jesus does in the holy place till 1844. You come to the Laodicean church. Laodicea means judging of the people. That means the judgment hour church with a judgment hour message. And Jesus is the faithful and true witness. And what does a witness do? A witness gives testimony in court. And he's giving testimony in court because his church is standing before the court of God in the judgment hour of earth's history. And this is all connected to the sanctuary message. So he's the faithful witness. So in the seven churches, he's not only the son of man bringing salvation to seek and to save that which is lost. He also brings salvation by being a faithful witness. Because you know what? The last thing you need is to come to church every Sabbath and to hear people say, Jesus loves you so much that you're just fine. Jesus loves you enough to say, you think you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, and I counsel you to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that you may be rich in white raiment, that you may be clothed. And when Jesus says, you need to be, buy white raiment, that white raiment is his, is his righteousness. And he's saying, Laodicea, you do not have the righteousness of Christ. And yet, we come to church every Sabbath and we want to hear feel-good sermons and scratch-my-ear sermons and pat-my-back sermons and I'm struggling and just comfort me that my struggles will be with me the rest of my life and then I'll be fine when Jesus comes. And yet, Jesus is saying, you need to get out of this Laodicean stupor. You're standing in the judgment hour of earth's history and I am the faithful and true witness giving testimony in court saying that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked and your problem is you think you're rich and increased with goods and don't need anything and you need to buy gold tried in the fire that you may be rich and that gold, as 1 Peter 1 verse 7 says, is faith that comes through the fiery trial. So Laodicea thinks we have faith, we have saving faith, we have righteousness by faith, we're on our way to heaven. And Jesus says that assurance of salvation that you cling on to so tenaciously while you're living a life of sin is not doing you any good. So that's Jesus, the faithful witness. He's also the first begotten of the dead. He's also the prince of the kings of the earth. So we see that in the seven churches, he's especially the faithful witness to the seventh church. Now you may be thinking, well, I thought the seven candlesticks were only in the holy place. Spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And in the book of Revelation, the seventh candlestick overlaps into the most holy place. So now we're describing the work of Jesus in the most holy place. And let me ask you something. 
especially considering the time that we're living in Earth's history, but even looking at the overall scope of the sanctuary message, what part of the work of Jesus should receive the most attention? It'd be the work in the most holy place. So now we see that in the seven churches, he's the son of man, especially through the holy place, but into the most holy place and the faithful witness. And in the seven seals, again, we see that he was the lion of the tribe of Judah, the lamb who had been slain. But you know, the good news is that Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He's the first begotten of the dead. He's the only begotten in John 3.16. But when you come to Psalms 2.6 and Acts 13.33 and Hebrews 1.5 and 6, Jesus goes from being the only begotten to the first begotten. And when you go to the book of Romans, you see that we become joint heirs with Christ, sons and daughters of God, that we become partakers of the same inheritance that Jesus receives at his resurrection. He's the first begotten of the dead. So all those who are martyrs for the faith, those during the time of the seals, during the dark ages, but you study Revelation chapter 20, and those who stand up to the mark of the beast Christ, and they are also martyrs. There are going to be martyrs at the end of the world as well, and we have the comfort and the hope that Jesus is the first begotten of the dead, and when he finishes his work in the most holy place, there is going to be a resurrection of the righteous. So again, first begotten of the dead, that takes place when Jesus finishes his work in the most holy place. Let's look at the seven trumpets. So he's the angel intercessor. Now let me point out something interesting. Yes, we're going to see that he's the prince of the kings of the earth and the seven trumpets. But have you noticed in Revelation chapter 10 which is the description of the rise of the second advent movement. And in verse 7, where it says, In the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he should begin to sound. So the seventh trumpet begins to sound. And you'll see in 11, chapter 11, verses 15 to 19, it sounds when the most holy place is open in heaven. That when Jesus comes down from heaven as the mighty angel in Revelation chapter 10, he's retaining the same description that he had at the beginning of the trumpets in Revelation chapter 8, where he's the angel with a censer in his hand. He's the angel with a censer in his hand at the beginning of the seven trumpets. And as it's time for the judgment to begin with the sounding of the seventh trumpet, Jesus now takes on the form not only of just the angel, but of the mighty angel. And he's the angel with a censer in his hand as the high priest doing a work of intercession. He hasn't changed when you get to chapter 10. He's still the high priest who is the mighty angel. And Revelation 10 is showing us that the high priest who is the mighty angel has come down from heaven to begin a very special work. So Jesus is the angel intercessor, but he's also the prince of the kings of the earth. And when you go to Revelation chapter 11... Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, we read, And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And when you skip on down to verse 19, it says, The temple of God was open in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament. That's 1844. Jesus, when he goes into the most holy place... He goes in as the mighty angel who is our high priest. And when he finishes the work in the most holy place, he comes back as king of kings and lord of lords or as the prince of the kings of the earth. When we look at this overview, 
This is the first 11 chapters of the book of Revelation. In the Seventh-day Adventist, we basically, our understanding of Revelation goes something like this. We understand that Jesus is in chapter 1, and he reveals himself to John, and he's somewhere in the seven churches, and the Laodicean church applies to us, and then there's some seals and trumpets, and most of us have no idea what those are talking about, and then somewhere in there, the Advent movement might be in chapter 10, and then you have the great controversy in chapter 12, and the Sunday law in chapter 13, and the three angels' messages in chapter 14, and somewhere in there Jesus comes back. And hopefully you know that much. But what Revelation is really talking about is that the first 11 chapters are laying the foundation for you to understand chapter 12 and chapter 13 and chapter 14. And when you understand the first 11 chapters, you understand that Jesus has taken on six very significant titles. Son of man and the faithful witness in the churches. Lamb who was slain and first begotten of the dead and the seals. And the angel with us as the intercessor who is the prince of the kings of the earth in the trumpets. And there's a reason why Jesus takes on all those titles. He's revealing himself because he's showing that each of those titles relates to job functions that he has in the sanctuary to produce a very special group of people. And that group of people are especially produced in the most holy place. So when you look at the first 11 chapters of Revelation, what you should see first before you get lost in the weeds of the seven trumpets is that the first 11 chapters are describing the work of Jesus in the holy place through the first six churches and through mostly the first six seals and through the first six trumpets. And then they're describing the work of Jesus in the most holy place in the seventh church, in the last part of the sixth seal and into the seventh seal and in the seventh trumpet. And that then gives us an understanding of how this final crisis is going to play out. So in the most holy place, in the book of Revelation, we see that Jesus is the faithful and true witness. And we see that he is the first begotten of the dead. And we see he's the prince of the kings of the earth. Now I want to read to you a few statements from inspiration that connect to the work of Jesus in the most holy place, to the cleansing of God's people from sin, and to the outpouring of the latter rain. And you will see that the work that Jesus does prepares people for the second coming of Christ. Before I read these quotes, let me just point out to you. When you get to the seventh church, Jesus gives this rebuke, and then he says, I stand at the door and knock, let me come in. If you overcome as I overcame, you'll sit with me in my throne. And then at the end of the seals, you see that we're waiting for the 144,000 to receive the seal of God in their foreheads. That's connected to the work of cleansing in the sanctuary. And when you come to the end of the seven trumpets, you see that in the rise of the second advent movement in chapter 10, verse 7, that while the seventh trumpet is sounding, the mystery of God should be finished, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, which is the character of Christ and his people. So all of that connects to the most holy place. So the book of Revelation is describing the sanctuary message and it's especially describing the work that Jesus does in the lives of the Second Advent movement after 1844. Let me read to you these statements. This is Testimonies, Volume 1, page 187. 
those who come up to every point and stand every test and overcome, be the price what it may, have heeded the counsel of who? The true witness. And they will receive the latter rain and thus be fitted for translation. Did you realize that the message of Jesus to the Laodicean church is a translation-based message? If you want to be translated, stop being lukewarm and let Jesus come in. When Laodicea allows Jesus to come in, he will cleanse his church of sin. Let's keep going. Cleansing in the seals. Testimonies, volume 5, page 214. Not one of us will ever receive the seal of God while our characters have one spot or stain upon them. It is left with us to remedy the defects in our characters, to cleanse the soul temple of every defilement. Then the latter rain will fall upon us as the early rain fell upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost. Notice this. In the sealing, just as in the, uh, in the message to the churches, the latter rain is connected to receiving the message, the latter rain is also connected to receiving the message in the seals. And friends, now is the time to be preparing for the outpouring of the latter rain. Amen? Amen. Now let's go to the trumpets. Well, sorry, I have one more quote for the seals. Maranatha, page 200. Just as soon as the people of God are sealed in their foreheads, it is not a seal or mark that can be seen, but a settling into the truth, both intellectually and spiritually, so they cannot be moved. Just as soon as God's people are sealed and prepared for the shaking, it will come. Indeed, it has begun already. The judgments of God are now upon the land to give us warning that we may know what is coming. Boy, what would she say today? Indeed, it has begun already. The judgments of God. The shaking is coming, friends. I'm not going to say too much, but let me tell you this. We are living in very, very interesting times as Seventh-day Adventists. Now is not the time to be playing church as a Seventh-day Adventist. Because there is a war for your soul, and there are two powers, unseen forces that are fighting for your heart and your mind right now. And even as that is unseen, the reality is that when we look at our church at large, and I was just in San Antonio with many of you as well, we are facing the reality that we have two versions of Adventism under one administrative structure. And friends, let me tell you, it's not going to stay this way forever. There is a shaking coming. And when God's people are ready for it, it's going to come. So as I see this polarization increasing, it tells me that God's people are closer to being ready. So you better wake up. Jesus is coming soon. Settling into the truth intellectually and spiritually. Intellectually, okay, now I understand the seven churches, seals and trumpets. I'm ready for Jesus to come. No, that's not what that means. It means that it comes into your heart so that you become a changed person. So that you become like Jesus. So that you're settled intellectually. You're not by, blown by every wind of doctrine. Oh, wow, the 2520, that sounds fascinating. Maybe I should believe that. Oh, wow, feast keeping. Oh, this and that. And so you're not blown away by intellectual false theories. But not only that, you have the spirit of Jesus so that you're settled and cannot be moved. So that in your home, in your family, you're actually a nice person to be around. Let's go to the trumpets. The latter rain is the fall upon the people of God. 
a mighty angel is to come down from heaven and the whole earth is to be lighted with his glory. Are we ready to take part in the glorious work of the third angel? Are our vessels ready to receive the heavenly dew? Have we defilement and sin on the heart? If so, let us cleanse the soul temple and prepare for the showers of the latter rain. The refreshing from the presence of the Lord will never come to hearts filled with impurity. May God help us to die to self that Christ, the hope of glory, may be formed within. And that's the seventh trumpet message right there. And it's connected again to the latter rain and to the cleansing of God's people. So as I wrap up here quickly, notice this. In the seven churches, Jesus comes in. We overcome as he overcame. In the seven seals, we receive the seal of the living God. In the seven trumpets, the mystery of God is finished, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And as I bring this to a close, notice by the end of the first 11 chapters, this is God's master strategy showing how he's going to have a people to stand through the final crisis. Then Revelation chapter 12 shows, yes, there is a great controversy. Satan is saying, God, that may be your strategy, but you want to bet I'm going to go after your remnant, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. And isn't it interesting that obedience and the spirit of prophecy are two things that are under the most attack in the Adventist church today. And then Revelation 13 shows Satan's master strategy to overcome Christ's master strategy. And then Revelation 14 shows the 144,000 and the three angels' messages where God comes out victorious. That's in the most holy place. Last two quotes here. Maranatha 2.49, from the Holy of Holies there goes on the grand work of instruction. The angels of God are communicating to men. Christ officiates in the sanctuary. We do not follow him into the sanctuary as we should. Christ and angels work in the hearts of the children of men. The church above united with the church below is warring the good warfare upon the earth. There must be a purifying of the soul here upon the earth in harmony with Christ's cleansing of the sanctuary in heaven. God's people are now to have their eyes fixed on the heavenly sanctuary where our great high priest is interceding for his people. Are you allowing Christ to cleanse your heart today? And the theme for our conference, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, 10 years ago when my friends and I helped to start this conference, I never dreamed that 10 years later I would be here talking in front of you. And I didn't even think I would be here 10 years later. I thought we would be in the kingdom by now. And I, I want to tell you something. I believe with all of my heart that Jesus really is coming soon. I'm not sure how many more Southwest Youth Conferences there are going to be before Jesus comes back. And it's way past the time of Earth's history to be playing games with God. Jesus has done everything possible that he could to make salvation free and available to each one of us. And the book of Revelation makes it crystal clear that he's going to do everything he can to save you in the kingdom. And he has chosen you to be part of this glorious second advent movement that he is working through in the, from the most holy place in the heavenly sanctuary to place his seal in our foreheads that the stamp of his character would remain through eternity in our lives, that we would be loving and lovable Christians, and that we would be prepared to take this message to a lost and dying world who is confused out there as they see our nation around us degenerating into a, a nation of immorality. And let me tell you something, the judgments of God are going to be in this land before too long with what this nation is doing. If God doesn't do something to America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. This is our time as Seventh-day Adventists 
to give our lives completely to God, to be crucified with Christ, to be surrendered to him. And I pray that the next time I come back to a reunion for Southwest Youth Conference, it will be in the kingdom of heaven. Amen. Let's close with prayer. Father in heaven, you are such a good God to us. You sent Jesus, which was as good as sending all of heaven. And now Jesus is in the most holy place, ever living to intercede on our behalf. And we just thank you so much for what Jesus is doing now. Lord, forgive us for our Laodicean state. May Jesus come in. May he cleanse our lives of sin. May we learn to experience the sweet joy and peace that comes from abiding in Christ and of having his life lived out through us. Lord, I pray that you will be with the rest of the messages through this week, and may you touch hearts. And if there is someone here today who is struggling with a sin in their hearts that they know is keeping them from receiving the seal of God, I pray that you would touch their heart and mind right now. I would invite you, if you are that person, raise your hand as every hand, head is bowed, every eye is closed. Raise your hand and ask for extra help from your high priest who ever lives to make intercession for you, knowing that you have a friend in Jesus who will help you. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We pray all this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.com dot org.